0: Roadman. Today I want to talk with former US elite road champion Johnny Brown. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman! Welcome back to another Roadman cycling podcast. I'm super excited about today's interview. I chat with former professional US road champion, Mr. Johnny Brown. Johnny is one of those dudes, I love, uh, I've said this so many times in the podcast, but I just love this this arc of a story, I love somebody who does well, but what I love way more than that is somebody who does well, and then goes through a really rough fucking period, and then comes back and blows it out of the park again, it just gives them such appreciation and I love to see that, and Johnny's a character who's well on his way to accomplishing that, the youngest ever us elite road champion back in 2018 he turned down world tour contracts in 2019 decided to stay at pro conti for one more year had the season from hell but now he's got himself together new coach he's feeling great in himself again and he's ready to kick on he's with Evo pro cycling this year and he's eyeing eye on the prize he's looking to step back to the world tour next year after blowing it out of the park this season wish him the best and i can't wait to catch up with him for this podcast but before i do i just want to remind you about patreon because patreon is how we're able to get these cool guests patreon is how we're able to knock it out of the park day after day week after week on the roadman podcast And No sign of slowing down. It's building, it's building, it's getting momentum, and it'll be slowly, slowly, then suddenly, but it's all thanks to you guys in the background. So please, dig deep to support the Roadman Podcast. Deep by deep, I mean the price of a pint of beer once a month, just to say thanks. So you can do that over on patreon.com forward slash Anthony underscore Walsh. Okay, I've yabbered on enough. Please welcome to the Roadman Podcast, Mr. Johnny Brown.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Johnny, we're hoping we don't have any uh, Wi-Fi connectivity issues here. Belgium wouldn't be noted for its uh, fast Wi-Fi
1: that is that is true always always issues, issues with the wi-fi here
0: we've spent the last 10 minutes folks uh, going back and forth just testing internet uh, broadband speeds and it turns out johnny's is just a it's just a cinch above the old-school dial-up when you used to have to wait for a uh, porn to buffer with the <laughs> 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 pretty
1: much <laughs>
0: johnny you're not old enough to remember that heartache of watching porn and it buffering <laughs> like these are
1: well, actually my, my whole childhood. We had, we had dial up, we lived in the country, so never had high speed internet the whole time growing up.
0: <laughs> it's a game changer for many issues, for many reasons. Um, <laughs> Johnny, we're going to start, and I kind of like to randomly dip in and out rather than sequentially just going through, okay, so you grew up in X town, so I just want to dip in and out of highlights of your career, low lights of your career, and then give listeners you're at continental level at the moment, and I think there's a big disconnect with people listening to the podcast of their, their view or interpretation of ro- or romantic notion of what pro cycling's like, and the reality of what it's like at continental level. I think it's a bit of a disconnect there, but I want to rewind with a good news day. It's 2018. You're in a break of four and you're about to become national champion. Talk us through that day. What's that like? What age were you? 21?
1: Yeah, I was, um, 21. I, the youngest ever U S national champion. Um, and I, I, won it in my home state too. So that was like the cherry on top. Um, in the city I was living. So it was like, yeah, the, the whole thing was, um, a shock kind of like I, that whole season I was, I was building up quite a bit. Um, and I had been getting some good results already the week before I, it was all, it was like clear that the form was good. Um, and then at nationals, like my goal going in was a, a top 10 and then, you were, riding kinda,
0: with, uh, you were riding Hagen Berman's that year, weren't you?
1: Yeah, so it was um, my third year with, with Hagen's Berman. Um, yeah, and it the stars kind of aligned that day, and I was feeling good and kind of took it by the balls and, and went for it.
0: I think, you know what, when so many of us get hooked on cycling, whatever that moment is for all of us, there's always this there's a romanticism about cycling that we fall in love with. And that's why it's different to, you know, triathlon or, you know, any of the track and field sports. There's this real history embedded in it. And there's something super romantic about this idea of 21 year old hometown kid riding, you know, on the way up, riding for where Hagen's Bermans, were they Conti or pro Conti that year?
1: We were pro Conti that year.
0: You know, you're riding against the World Tour guys. It's like the might of the World Tour versus the hometown kid. Like, it's such a cool story. And I remember watching it. And I re-watched the last 10K in sort of preparation for this podcast. And even though I knew the results, I nearly found myself screaming at a YouTube, going, come on, fucking Johnny. Dig in, dig in,
1: mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Even. Um, I know the outcome, and, and I've watched the replay a few times, and it's it's kind of the same thing. I'm like, oh, dude, come on, go for it! Yeah, you, you still got, you still got, to, you got to go. Um, yeah.
0: What's the director it, saying to you, Kara, for the I, last I still 10k? Get,
1: get goosebumps if I if I rewatch it. You
0: know, the last oh, 10 kilometers. The funny he's coming thing along is actually uh,
1: my. Well, no, well he probably was, but my radio had fallen out um, with like three laps to go, so I it was all off instinct. Um, and yeah, I, they could have been saying whatever. I I don't know, but I, I was in my, my own world. <laughs> and
0: how, how much belief do you have in the last 10 kilometers that this is going to happen? Or are you still kind of thinking, Oh my God, at least I'm going to get a podium or at least I'm going to get a top five.
1: That was, that was actually, so when I attacked, um, I was kind of like, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is I get fourth. Um, I didn't believe I was going to win until I took the last corner to the finish line. It was like 300 meters. Um, you can actually, if you rewatch the replay, I I go as hard as I can up that final little like hundred meter kick because in my mind, I was kind of like, I-, I could cramp up this. I could like anything could happen and they could catch me. Um, so I really didn't, didn't believe or realize that I was going to win until final 30 seconds
0: and you're railing in, in some of I, those corners in the wet as well
1: yeah yeah um because really the, the guys behind me were very good riders strong riders um that have proven themselves many of times so me going against three other guys that are seasoned riders was um i didn't believe i was going to hold them off
0: it was a crazy crazy david versus goliath result and uh, talk to me about the aftermath of that race like that night the next morning does it feel real or is there a little bit of a pinch me i'm dreaming moment
1: yeah it that first night um i went home because my my um i was living in that city so i i didn't stay at the team hotel with the the team i, I went home and i <laughs> i didn't sleep the whole night i think i, I I fell asleep at like four because it was kind of like, oh, what what just happened? Like, this is um, uh, unreal.
0: But so talk me through that night in your head. You must think I'm 21. I'm after winning the US Pro Nationals. Your mind must be going to Flanders, Roubaix, World Tour, Grand Tour selections. You must be running wild and going, where does this where does this finish? I'm 21 years old, the youngest ever U S national champion. Can you stop yourself dreaming or is the head just automatically run in that direction?
1: Yeah, I, um, even prior to winning, I, I had good belief in myself. Um, I had some good results that that whole year leading up results that I feel like it kind of washed under the rug sometimes. Um, so even before nationals, I, I already had belief I can make it to the world tour. Um, so then once I, I won nationals, it was kind of like, a I definitely know I can. Um, so yeah, <laughs> the, the next kind of the whole rest of the season was a bit of a on a dream, like it's going to happen. No, no problem now.
0: Okay, so me looking at this and not knowing you, like we only were introduced a few weeks ago through a mutual friend, and not knowing you, but being a cycling fan, you know, I raced out in the US in twenty fourteen with Estelleus, and so I always kind of keep an eye on US nationals, and I love the US scene. So when I see you winning that at the age of twenty one, and I see your brother's Nate Brown in the World Tour riding with Carmen, I just automatically assume we're going to see you in the World Tour the following year or at, at slowest the year after. But this is yeah. I, I think where so many listeners and myself and included fall into that trap at times of seeing cycling as this straightforward sport of you get a good result and you land a good team. But it's a lot more political and there's a lot more goes into getting those breaks than just I don't want to say just one result because, you know, you'd obviously built up to that. It wasn't like it was a fluke result. You know, you were one of the favorites going into the race. You were definitely, you know, someone that was going to nail a top 10. But for, to have a breakout result like that, we just assume that the World Tour contract follows, but it didn't. The following year, was it uh, the following year you stayed with Hagens, but the year after, you step back down to Conti level. How, how does yeah. that happen? Or how did the contract negotiations go around all this?
1: Well, I had another year on my contract with with Hoggins Berman, um, and no, if something happens like that, and and I get an offer, they would release no problem. Um, and I, I did get offers to go to the World Tour, but I turned them down actually because I was like, oh, my schedule with Hoggins Berman next year. We had a lot of really good races, and. I was like, I, I showed myself in 2018. Right. Um, I'm going to show myself even more in 2019. Yeah. Um, and it was almost one of those things I had, I don't want to say too much belief in myself, but I was like, I can keep gaining my traction that I already have in 2018. And, um, I had this belief that it would still be there. My, these offers at the, the following year. Um, and I had a terrible year, and things things didn't line up again at the at the end of twenty nineteen. But um, yeah, it was it was twenty nineteen was definitely a, a rough year for me. Why did you have a terrible year? I,
0: what happened in twenty
1: nineteen? A lot of mixture of things. Um, I had a pretty junk winter. I. The weather was bad and I didn't go anywhere warm, which was kind of a a mistake to begin with. Um, And then just, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Like when I look back now, I, first race I went to, we went to True of Columbia and I just got spat out. Um, And then that put a lot of second thoughts into my head and then the whole year it's just kind of like a crumble effect because then <laughs> the next race when it goes planned. And then it was like the one thing after another, like I'm not getting the results I was hoping for. So then you start putting more pressure on yourself. Um, and then getting, trying to go back to the teams that had already offered something, but then be like, well, we know you were really good, but you got to show us something again this year. Um, uh,
0: how much is yeah, there how much is there a little bit of a sibling rivalry was it Tour of columbia that year Did your brother win the time trial stage
1: no 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 it was it started with the team time trial um but at, he was trying to help help me as he can too actually trying to get me on a team and he moved teams yeah it was that year um as well so it was it was a lot of mixture of things. He was moving. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't prepare as I should have for the season. It it just it just didn't it just didn't go well.
0: And <laughs> to look back to your regret in two thousand and eighteen not taking those world tour offers.
1: Yeah, I, I think that was kind of a lot of it too in twenty nineteen being like you kind of messed up. You I should have just gone for it. It was there and I should have taken it, type thing. Um, but,
0: but look, also, th- we've th- seen th- guys th- who had those offers, like I'm thinking back to well, Dombrowski, Ian Boswell, and they th- stayed an extra year, and they lit up races like the Tour of California and got a lot of notoriety and got the big move the following year.
1: So that was, that was my whole thought after I won, because there's also the opposite of um, a rider that was riding for Huggins Berman prior that went to the World Tour, um, didn't do so well then he got didn't get renewed with anybody and that was kind of my fear too that I'm going to be doing the same races that I'd be doing with Hoggins Berman but instead of actually being able to fight for a result with Hoggins Berman I'm just going to be a worker with a world tour team um so then I was nervous like I might be doing I'm going to be doing the same races but then maybe once I make it I'm going to be uh not appreciated and then be struggling to find a contract after my, my first world tour contract ends. So that was, I believed in myself that I could get those results again in 2019 to be like, well, I'm still here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. But um, like, definitely yeah, because it didn't there's, happen, but there's,
0: there's definitely ways to go into the world tour. And it's almost like to think of it as framing. Did you ever like go to a public speaking event and they just go coming onto the stage is, you know, Joe blogs. And you're like, okay, well, that's a bit fucking underwhelming. But then if an announcer comes on before and they give the whole like resume of Joe Bloggs, he's spoken at stages around the world. He is the world's number one entertainer. I give you Joe Bloggs. The energy's there. And there's this like pre-frame that you're like, whoa, holy shit. I feel like that's sometimes what happens in the world tour. You take a rider like Pickcock, who there's this big pre-frame of Pickcock going into Ineos. All of a sudden, he's two races into his world tour career and he's a protected rider. Vers- versus yeah. you take Eddie Dunbar going in from uh, your old yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah, he's a super yeah. strong guy. He's won the under 23 Tour of Flanders, but he does not that same framing around him. He's not getting the same opportunities.
1: Well, I actually, it's funny you say that because I I say that about Dunbar all the time because he is unbelievable, right? But nobody really, I mean, people know about him, but at the same time for the, the rider that he is and the things that he can do, he, yeah, he's not getting really the opportunities he should versus like somebody that already has the, so much hype going in that right away, they already have it.
0: <laughs> so talk to me then, you've your shit year at uh, Skyline, that was 2019. And now you've moved to the Irish Continental team, Evo Pro with my old director, Morgan Fox. Shout out, Morgan. Uh, <laughs> do you see this as like a... A second chance, uh, kind of. I, I talked to a friend earlier on, and we were using that as a, a different analogy about, you know, there's people in life, and you see them, and they're, you know, in their mid forties, and they're just stuck, like they're in a shit living situation. They're in a shit, you know, they don't like their job, they don't like their relationship, they don't like their life. But it's like a video game; they've made a tactical error, they've gone the wrong direction, and instead of just going, okay, I've gone the wrong direction, I need to step back. And go another direction. They're just trying to keep slam through that same direction. It seems like you've had the foresight to say, you know what? I made a tactical error. I'm going to step back a level to Evo Pro, and I'm going to rebuild and I'm going to attack this from another direction because I'm still a young guy. Or is that me reading yeah. too much into it?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, not not at all. Like that's a, that's the thing. Like I'm still I'm 23 years old right now, right? I'm not this old, like old man and my time's over. (laughs) I like, I'm still young. Um, and I definitely still believe in myself and I know I can do it. Um, I started working with a new trainer too, after the 2019 season. And since then, like, okay, I didn't get to race at all in 2020, but, um, numbers and everything are, are better than they've ever been. Um, so I, I know I can do it. Now hit I just have to hit us with some numbers.
0: It. If if you feel comfortable sharing numbers, hit us with a few numbers. I know people love comparing themselves because we're gonna have like the the cat four rider listening to us going, Oh, I'm a hundred kilos and I'm doing two twenty watts of threshold. So what's the sort of numbers <laughs> what's the sort of numbers they need to be uh, an aspiring US national champ?
1: Oof. The thing is I don't have these these crazy numbers is this the problem. <laughs> I'm not this like the, this freak that's like pumping out these crazy ones but um yeah phew, I don't even know. My 20 minute isn't anything crazy but um I definitely have a, more of a punch like my 5 minute and 10 minute are are pretty high. Um I couldn't – honestly I, I couldn't a, even t-
0: do you see of Andropov's numbers in the weekend?
1: I actually i um, I saw an article that I, I glanced over, but I'm sure it's something ridiculous. So listen to this; like, this is gonna blow
0: your mind. He rode the last probably be- sixty kilometers after-
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> at four hundred and thirty nine watts.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I'm not even gonna say say mine now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, what the actual fuck? There's good track pursuit riders who are doing 440 watts in a pursuit. He done it for the last 60 kilometers.
1: And that's after, like, all those hours in the lakes, too.
0: <laughs> it's insane. But you know what? His numbers weren't as big as I anticipated for... The finishing climb like his his 22nd power was no, it's tough he's look. don't get me wrong he's still gonna fucking drop me but his 22nd power <laughs> was only a thousand watts like
1: yeah that's, that's what i crazy, saw like, it was like yeah because it was saying something like that final attack he did a thousand watts but how many hours was was it two five something yeah i guess like it, was up, it was over
0: five i think yeah <laughs> five and a half, six. And, <laughs> I think you've hit that point there because that's when a lot of amateurs, and I know I used to do this when I was riding full-time. I used to train a lot with uh, Mike Barry, who was riding for Sky at the time. And I had, like, I think I was doing, like, 4.15 for 20 minutes. And I was, like, 70 kilograms. And I, I was doing the mats and going, oh, my God, I'm almost world tour. Like, this is phenomenal. And <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, I was doing that fresh, tapered, like warming up to to the side of a mountain. He was throwing down them numbers like six hours into a stage, like and he's three weeks into a stage race. And he still can't I know.
1: I know. That's that's the crazy thing sometimes that blows my mind. I'm like they're doing that three weeks into a Grand Tour <laughs> at the end of a day. And I'm like, oh,
0: like, I've done eight day stage races. And on the ninth day, if you asked me to do an FTP test, I'd say I wouldn't have hit triple figures. <laughs> I was that week.
1: I know. I know. I know. I know. I <laughs> know. Uh,
0: Talk to me about, because the reality of being a pro at continental level, because I see this kind of dichotomy, and I even see it with trainer partners of mine who are kind of ambitious to move up at the moment, but have never sampled life, or maybe wouldn't have a lot of friends who have ridden at Conti or above. And they kind of see it as like, oh my God, you've made it. You're at Conti level. It's everything's brilliant. It's five star hotels, and some dude feeding you grapes on silk sheets every morning. <laughs> it's not quite that, is it? <laughs>
1: that's not not cycling at all (laughs) even in the world tours (laughs) it's not (laughs) uh yeah i mean it's yeah cycling in general it's um a lot of bad hotels no matter what team you're in (laughs) um the crazy thing though is the difference it's like say even i i just raced yesterday um we're a Conti team, but then at the same time we're racing against Quick Step, Lotto. Um, I think that's kind of the the thing people don't understand sometimes, even about the Conti level, though, um, is we might be two tiers behind them, but we're doing the same race. But
0: um, so. I feel I feel like Conti doesn't even do it justice because there's Conti teams that have unbelievable schedules and then there's Conti teams to just like stay in England and race crappy, like, you know, national calendar races up and down England. No, you know, I don't, I don't want to be dismissive of English calendar races, but you know what I mean? They're not going out and racing quick step every yeah. weekend.
1: Yeah, well, so that's the thing. I oh, There's over a hundred registered Conti teams in the world, but really there's probably 10 that are like, true pro team still you know the rest are it's just kind of like they pay for the license they say they're conti but you're like you're not you're not really a pro team um that's the i think yeah the hard thing sometimes it's like just because you pay for the conti license doesn't mean you're actually like a proper pro team. <laughs>
0: but I even see it with riders, and I don't name any specific writers cause it'd be unfair to them, but you see guys and they're okay at a domestic level. And then they're like, Oh, I'm signing for a Conti team in England. And you're like, you're just signing <laughs> for another domestic team. Like go to France yeah. and write for an amateur team or go to Belgium and write for an amateur team and like do your apprenticeship.
1: It's, and since you rode for Estelas in the U S it, it's the same thing really in the, in the U S like, oh, I, I signed for this Conti team. I'm pro now. You're like, well, in reality, you could write for an amateur team and it's going to be better off than this Conti team that you're on. Like, just because you have the name does, doesn't mean anything.
0: So I came from an amateur team in France the year before I signed for Astellas. And like when I signed for Astellas, you know, I, like I wasn't making good cash, but I was making a bit of cash to pay some bills and stuff. And... I was making like 50 euro a week, just expenses for a division national team in France. And 100%, it was a step down, going to America from France. Like a step down in everything. Yeah. Quality of racing, the yeah, organization, yeah. quality of teammates, everything.
1: What, what year were you on Astellas? Uh
0: Was France 2013, so Estela's 2014.
1: Oh, nice. What, did you do Dairylands that year?
0: Didn't do Dairylands. I brought my collarbone just before oh. it.
1: I was going to say, because I I was a junior, but I I was doing the pro races that year. Oh, (laughs) right. Yeah. I was going to say, we we raced each other. (laughs)
0: You know what? We probably did race each other at some point that year. Uh, Like, were you doing the National Criterium Calendar stuff as well?
1: I did. What else did I do that year? Speed Week, I think.
0: Yeah, I probably Um, raced in Speed Week.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I was... I'd have to look. I can't remember if that year if I just did the Cat 2 races or if I actually did some of the pro races for Speed Week. But, you know, what? the American
0: scene is fun when you're like, you know, because I went over, my kind of background was non-typical. I went through undergrad, university, finished my master's, and then went into law school and finished law school. And I was just starting to get some good results in, like, 2.2 uh, is in Ireland and stuff so I got a French team and then I got Estelle's the year after and I was just kind of like well I'm just going to roll with it I'm never going world tour I started this too late but I'm just like I'm going to knock a few years of free travel out of this see the world so America was perfect for me because I got to see all these cool places you know criteriums down in Delray Beach on like a Friday night and stuff and it's like what the fuck is this this is amazing
1: yeah it's um crits in the US are fun they are so cool
0: they're so hard yeah
1: yeah that's what people don't realize sometimes um a lot of europeans like to really hate on american crit scene but i'm like man (laughs) those things are so hard you don't, you don't understand
0: (laughs) if you don't start in the top 20 in that like it's I had races where I started like position, like I'd be in P thirty or P thirty five, and I'd literally spend sixty minutes like battling to move up to like P twenty nine, and I might get back to yeah thirty two, I and get back to twenty nine, and like I know, I never got into the top ten if I started outside like the top twenty or thirty. It's just it's too hard.
1: I know. Well, because it's just single file the whole time. It's like oh, I know.
0: And it's like it's like destruction derby as well when someone who crashes. Like when the bell goes, the laws of gravity are suspended over there and people think they can rail corners at like twice the speed that's actually possible to go around them and just <laughs>
1: stack up everywhere. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> so, Johnny, paint me a vision. What's, what's your career look like in an ideal world now? What's your trajectory like? How long are you with Evo... You know, what races are you going to win this year and where do you step into from here?
1: Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, yeah, hopefully, I mean, this year I I have big ambitions. I mean, I definitely want to get some good results to kind of reprove myself again. Um, so I don't have any like specific races and I'm like, these are the ones I, I want to do well at. Um, I think I kind of have to go into every race, ready to throw down. Um, ideally, I get to step back up to to Pro Conti or, or above for 2022. That's like the main goal. Um, so yeah, this year is definitely full swing and trying trying to get back up to to at least Pro Conti or or higher.
0: How have you managed to stay positive during race cancellations? Like we were talking off air, you have 12 or 13 cancellations in April alone.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, I, um, so my race yesterday was my first race I've done in 18 months. So my last race I did was the end of 2019 season. Um, so I, at this point through 2020, I I didn't race at all. So I was able to keep myself pretty motivated through the whole year anyways um so even like the day we flew over to ireland we had gotten a message from morgan saying our first maraca challenge was was canceled our first five races um but i know it's going to come it just i mean all right we we had a bunch of races canceled but i'm going to get my opportunity still this year it could be fifty race days, it could be five, but um, I'm gonna be ready for every race that that I start.
0: So Shield the Prey is the seems like the standout race in the first quarter of the season for you guys.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm not much of a much of a sprinter, but um, or even even crosswinds really. So those races will be will be tougher for me to show myself, but hopefully we get some with more in our dens or something.
0: Um, I, I don't know the roster super right. well this year. Have have you got guys that can ride the crosswinds and stick out a sprint at the end?
1: Yeah, we um, we have this Belgian guy, um, Michael Van Steyen who's was pro Conti for years. Um, he's thirty one this year, and he's he's solid. He is really good in the final. Um, so he's definitely our standout guy for for the fast finishes.
0: Awesome. It's definitely looking forward to seeing that. Johnny, uh, we'll definitely have to get you on the podcast again later in the year to sort of track your progress.
1: Yeah, I love it.
0: So you better throw down a few big results. It's going to be an
1: awesome
0: <laughs> if you come back. And oh, like, man. <laughs> yeah, so Johnny, you roll up your results there for us, and you're like, well, I DNF'd here, I DNF'd here.
1: <laughs> yeah, Whew. pressure's on now.
0: Yeah. So like you're, you're coming back on regardless of the results. So you need to pull up the fucking slaves. I'm ready. (laughs) Johnny, thanks for taking the time, buddy.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Cheers. Hey everybody, it's Anthony again. Really quick, I want to invite you to join arguably the best thing I've ever put out inside the Roadman community. It's a challenge. It's a challenge called the 14 day kickstart challenge. So regardless of where your fitness is at right now, this is gonna be the catalyst for making you faster and making you leaner. I've created this challenge to take the guesswork out of everything. It's 14 days of training plans, regardless of what your level is. There's masters, beginner, advanced. There's meal plans, shopping list, and even a video course holding your hand and talking you through it all. So what I recommend you do right now is just stop everything, press pause on this audio, and go to roadmancycling.com forward slash 14 day, or check out the link in the bio. That's roadmancycling.com slash 14 day.